Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, August 4th, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black. Matt Norlanda is here with me. And it occurred to me as I was prepping for this podcast that we haven't talked about actual college basketball stuff in a, in a pretty good while. We started focusing mostly on NBA draft stuff in advance of the draft, but a lot has happened um, in recent weeks, most notably conference realignment stuff. And I had a column on this that published on, on Tuesday afternoon about how the Big 12 can, you know, theoretically still be one of the nation's best men's basketball leagues, even with Texas and Oklahoma on their way to the SEC. Deadleg, let's start here. Where is the Big 12 in, say, five years? Is it dead like your leg? Is it in a merger with another league like the Pac-12? Or is it simply a lessened version of itself, but still one of the best men's basketball leagues in the country? Uh, I mean, it's going to have to expand. Eight teams. Look at us talking college again. Feels great to be back. It's gonna nice have to be back. It is great to be back. Um, it's going to have to expand. I don't think the Big Twelve is collapsing. Five years from now, seven years from now, the Big Twelve is going to exist. Um, but in order to do so, it's going to need to. How about this? In five years, the Big Twelve is going to actually have twelve exact teams. <laughs> that's that's my prediction. It will actually go back to being a twelve-team conference and it will expand and still be fairly reputable i want to get to your column in just a second but let's take a guess at the four teams it's going to get i'll say this is blind guess right now big 12 will keep the eight that it's got it'll bring in houston it'll bring in memphis it will bring in Someone floated BYU to me, but they also said that there's a lot of issues in terms of BYU as a football member um, and even potentially basketball with this WCC stuff. So I'm going to sh- I'm gonna shift off that. I will say Memphis, Houston, I don't think they'll completely raid the a- AC, but they got to get two more in there somehow, some way. They're... Uh, I mean, your options are Cincinnati, UCF, SMU, and if you want to go academics, like if that matters to you, and I don't think it should, but like it might, Tulane. So you're basically ending the American Athletic Conference then so the Big 12 can survive. That's what I think is the most likely scenario. As I laid out in the column, there are a lot of things being uh, you know, tossed around right now as, as possibilities. You know, as Dennis Dodd, our colleague and friend, reported on Tuesday – you know, Bob Bowlesby, the Big 12 commissioner, you know, had a meeting with the Pac-12 commissioner to talk about a number of things, including, and I thought this was wild, that everybody's sort of acknowledging publicly this is, yeah, we'll talk about a merger, including a merger. So the Big 12 is, I mean, just based on nothing more than what I just told you, you, you can understand this is an uneasy situation. Um, 
they're trying to survive. I mean, you had multiple athletic directors from the Big 12, specifically Mac Rhodes at Baylor, Kirby Holcutt at Texas Tech, acknowledge on Monday in a Texas Senate hearing that they're concerned about losing their Power 5 status. They're in a bad place right now. And the public stance is that the eight of us will remain together. That's the plan. We're going to stick together. And as I point out in the column, like, that, that's a fine plan. Um, but relying on loyalty when nobody's loyal is probably a little short-sighted. Um, if Kansas can go to the Big 12, uh, the Big 10, Kansas is going to the Big 10. If West Virginia can go to the ACC, West Virginia is going to the ACC. So just, hey, we're all going to stick together. That's not true. The, the, the hope for these individual schools is not to stick together. They would all like to go somewhere else. The best thing working for the Big 12 right now as it pertains to the eight remaining members, is that nobody else might want them, you know, in terms of moving up. Like the Big Ten just might say nobody adds value. Um, The the ACC, Pac-12, and SEC say the exact same thing. We don't want any of those eight. So the only way the eight stay together is if nobody – if, if no other power five conference wants any of them. And that might really be the case. In fact, I've had multiple industry sources say, you know, never say never, but – I'd be surprised if any of the other Power Five conferences want any of the remaining eight Big 12 schools. So if you say, just for the sake of the conversation, okay, nobody else is moving to a different Power Five league. What are some other options? Well, Dennis Dodd has also reported that the AAC is trying to take all eight into the AAC. But that just doesn't make a lot of sense on a surface level. Like even without Texas and Oklahoma, um, the Big 12 believes its member schools, the eight remaining, will get about $14 million a year in media rights. That's still like double what the AAC schools get. So why would the Big 12 schools jump to join a league um, that that where its members get less money than, than they'll get even without Texas, Oklahoma, and join a league with, and I say this as respectfully as I can say it, like East Carolina and, and you know, whatever the more likely scenario then becomes you're eight stuck together and you add to get strength in numbers. And I think what you touched on at the beginning is the most likely scenario. All of these scenarios are still up in the air, but the most like, like where do we land on this stuff? I think we probably land with the eight sticking together and then you add AAC schools and I think the ones you hit on are about right. Like, let's, let's say you add four to get back to 12. Cincinnati, Houston, Memphis, UCF. If you wanted to add another Texas-based school, SMU is available. If academics matter, Tulane is available. But I, I think what the Big 12 is ultimately going to be is a lessened league, with or without Power 5 status. That's, you know, we'll see. But a lesson league that's still good. And the point I made in the column, because I was writing it from a college basketball perspective, even though I acknowledge college basketball doesn't really matter in, in these conversations. They don't, mm-hmm. It doesn't move the needle. You know, when the ACC first expanded this century in 2004, Syracuse had just won the national championship in men's basketball. Didn't get a sniff. They didn't care. They, they, they took uh, Virginia Tech and Miami. Um, you know, right right now, Kansas is one of the biggest brands in the sport. Baylor's your reigning national champion. Texas Tech is one of the last eight schools to participate in the Final Four. Doesn't matter. Nobody cares. And so, I acknowledge basketball doesn't move the needle in these in these conversations. But however the needle gets moved, then you look at it from a basketball perspective. A league that still has Baylor 
Kansas, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, West Virginia, uh, Kansas State, TCU, plus, again, just in theory, Cincinnati, Memphis, Houston, and whatever else, UCF, SMU, like whatever. That's that's still a strong basketball league, even if it might not register anywhere close to what it once did as a football league. I wonder if Boise State might be – a school that the, that the Big 12 would heavily target for the football end of it, obviously, the pride of the Mountain West there. Obviously, not exactly right in the backyard, but the, the idea of geography really mattering all that much when it comes to conference unions is it's an outdated thing. Although, I, I got to say, you know, if you listen to the first eight minutes of this podcast and found yourself kind of dispirited, dispirited and you've been that way for a couple of weeks, I'm with you. Like, Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC sucks. It just does. Uh, uh, again, geographically, that actually can make some sort of halfway decent fit, I guess. Um, I obviously know why they're doing it, because those schools and the conference on the whole... Like, the SEC is going to be a billion-dollar enterprise, and that's the kind of thing that's normally reserved for uh, truly professional leagues. So I get why all of this is happening, but it doesn't stop me from believing that this is terrible for college football. It's not good for college sports in general. The conferences are way too big, and I can't even think that TV networks even want to have these conferences that have 14, 15, 16, potentially 18 or 20 teams because that's a lot of tonnage. And then by the pure nature of how these things will play out, you will wind up having half the league just be terrible anyway. Like, no one cares about Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, broadly speaking, in the context of the fact that those schools are in the SEC. And for Oklahoma and Texas, Oklahoma in particular, like you're going to lose relevance. Yeah, you'll be in the SEC eventually, but from a football standpoint, your entryway into the college football playoff gets that much more difficult. I understand they're going to expand it. That's another interesting side note with all this, this idea that they're going to go to 12 teams. I mean, it's probably going to happen, yeah, eventually, because again, the money there is going to be so huge. But when you... uh, Change the calculus of how you're going to build that 12-team playoff with the leagues as they are currently assembled. I'll be interested to see what happens with all of that. I don't like Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC. I think it completely um, rearranges the power dynamic, not just in college football, but in college basketball and college sports overall. And I just find it to be completely unnecessary. Uh, entirely unnecessary, blowing up... Um, Rivalries, and I know you get Texas and Texas A&M back, and Texas A&M is all pissed, but they're not pissed enough to vote against this stuff. I just wanted to talk with you on that real quick. Like, we can talk about what the Big 12 is going to do, and it is interesting because it's got to survive here. I think it will, but it's it's got to make some serious moves, and yeah, it's going to have to do to another league what the SEC did to its league, and the Big 12 was sort of on its deathbed to a certain extent a decade ago and was able to manage to to hang on and bring in the likes of, of TCU and, and West Virginia. It's going to have to do that again, but I don't know, man. I just When this came out, I didn't believe it was going to happen. That was obviously naive in the moment. I just didn't think that Oklahoma and Texas would purposefully increase their level of difficulty to get into what matters most, which is the college football playoff. But quite obviously, the potential to make tens of millions of dollars more per year as an institution was enough to make them do that. But doesn't this just, on a very basic level, Parrish, just, I don't know, annoy you? I, I just I, I find the whole thing something that's ultimately going to be a negative for college sports. I don't think it's good when you have this kind of conglomerate, and I think it only, if anything, allows for more conglomerates to take place down the road, 
And then any sort of idea of, of conference alignment as we once understood it is completely out the window. I understand it from a money perspective, but at, at some point, I think, and keep in mind, I'm not an athletic director with a budget, so I acknowledge that up front. But at some point, you got to weigh, like, okay, how much do we need the money against how much do we need success? Yeah. Because Texas <laughs> has plenty of people in that Texas uh, uh, Senate hearing pointed out. <laughs> it was hilarious watching these um these uh, um, uh, officials who have strong ties to other Big 12 schools just sort of poke fun at Texas the other day. Amazing. As several of them pointed out, Texas has had a rough go of it in the Big 12. You know, as one uh, woman pointed out, three and seven against the Horn Frogs. <laughs> so if you've been three and seven against the Horn Frogs, um, you know, good luck. Now you're dealing with Alabama, LSU, Florida, you know, and the rest of those SEC powers. And I understand that perhaps, you know, you go to the SEC, now you're an SEC school, now you can recruit better, and so you'll have better student athletes, and now you'll be able to compete at the highest level of the sport like you're supposed to be able to do at Texas. Like, maybe, I'm not ruling anything out. Maybe you just hired the right coach, and that'll be the thing that elevates Texas football back to where it once was. But you have undeniably made your path to success more difficult. Same thing for Oklahoma. They were running through the Big 12. They're not just they're just not going to run through the SEC like that. You have made your path to success more difficult. For what? More money? Like the Texas president, you know, you know, on Monday acknowledged their annual budget is, you know, somewhere north of 220 million dollars. Probably ranks first in the country. Yes. How much money do you need? And I had an athletic director over the weekend say to me, perhaps if I were in their shoes, I would do the same thing. But it is very easy for me to envision a scenario where they look up in 10 years and go, what did we do? Why did we do this? Okay, we're making more money. And we're in a, a more, we're in the greatest college conference of all time. But we ain't been back to the playoff. But we just finished third in our division, if there are divisions. You know, fans like to win. You know, I, I don't know how many Oklahoma fans were sitting around for the past however many years as they're stacking Big 12 championships and right. going to the playoff going, you know what, but I really don't enjoy this Big 12. You know what people love to do? They love to win. They love to win. And Oklahoma and Texas for – perhaps prestige. Although if you're Oklahoma and Texas, what are you chasing prestige exactly. for? You're Oklahoma and Texas for money, for whatever reasons. And I'm sure there's multiple reasons, but for whatever reasons you have just made the likelihood of you winning at the high, at a high level consistently, you've made it, you've made that goal more difficult by making this move. And as one athletic director pointed out to me, and I think he might be right. You know, it was, you, you might look back, someday and go that was a that was a misstep we were motivated by certain things but the cost the expense of doing these things was hanging banners was celebrating playoff appearances was winning conference championships can one listener to this podcast if i ask you right now what is oklahoma's athletic operating budget for the past fiscal year not one person can tell me that answer unless you're listening and you literally work 
in the athletic department at the University of Oklahoma. And if you do, shouts to you. Thanks for subscribing. Please leave a nice review. But fans don't care if you bring in $170 million, if you have a budget of 200 or 225 or $270 million. They do not care about that. They care about their programs having success, getting to the NCAA tournament, making deep runs in football, finishing atop the conference, being in contention for the college football playoff. If we look eight years down the road from now and Lincoln Riley's in his fifth year coaching in the NFL, which, oh, by the way, don't think that that's not a potential fallout from all this as well. Lincoln Riley has plenty of prospects at the next level, and if whether or not Oklahoma stays in the Big 12 through 2025, which I'm extremely skeptical of, although I do believe the Big 12 is going to try its damnedest to make sure that those schools stay until the very end, I think there could be some real severe unintended consequences. If you're suddenly in basketball and football finishing third instead of first, Seventh and third, that has, yes, real long-term consequences. And what another coach pointed out to me is this. When you have big-picture national success, it doesn't just enliven the fan base. What actually winds up happening is if you can get to even Sweet 16s, let alone Final Fours, or win a national championship in basketball, and if you can be a top-10 team in football, what actually happens is the really, really hardcore, super-rich people that love your program are that much more likely to just to, to be boosters, to donate to your program, to enrich it in, in all sorts of ways, in addition to the fact that you get untold amounts of value and publicity by the pure nature of winning. If you go to the SEC and we look up in eight years and Texas is the fifth best team in football and Chris Beard's still killing it there and is, you know, is the third or second best team in the league, yeah, that'll be fine, but you could have an alternate reality where Texas is the first or second best team in the Big 12 in football and the best team in the Big 12 in basketball and your overall picture is just, it's that much rosier. Might you not make $40 million more? Sure. Does that matter to the people that are ultimately running this? No, they're just enriching themselves. And in the process, they're just watering down the college experience. That's all. Like, I know this happened, what, we're going on like a week and a half, two weeks ago, and we've been wrapped up with NBA draft. I'm still in the middle of covering the Olympics. Um, but I had to get that on the podcast because, man, this this is it's just straight up annoying. And if the Big 12, for some reason, does wind up dissolving, that'll truly suck for college sports. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's certainly possible. And if it does, what are we looking at? Like, the, the bigger conferences, Paris, that you mentioned, taking those schools, like West Virginia is another team that's going to the ACC, Kansas and maybe another team going to the Big Ten. Like, what's the point of even having leagues at that point? You know, it's the 20-team leagues. You're not going to face teams on a football basis once every, what, four or five years? You're barely in a conference. The The idea almost defeats itself except for the fact that you can have a television contract that can give your school tens and tens of millions of dollars annually. But ultimately, like, the actual emotional investment there, uh, from, a, from a conference standpoint, it just, I don't know, it seems much, much watered down. Yeah, you and I are on the same page here, and it's it's funny because we haven't not talked about this you know off the pod at all, but we're we're, we're pretty much aligned. Um, I, I don't think this is good for college athletics. I'm skeptical it's good for Texas Oklahoma, which is wild because they're voluntarily doing this. This is their decision. It was up to them. They're the ones that you know sparked the conversations and got the ball rolling, if you will. And I'm not sure it's. I'm, I'm skeptical that it's actually going to work in their favor. They'll make more money. But I don't know if ultimately it'll be deemed worth it. And then the big question, just to circle this back to the top, what happens with the rest of the Big 12? Uh, My bottom line is uh, they got eight schools remaining. All eight are trying to get out. 
all I don't care about what they say publicly. All eight are trying to go somewhere else. If if the Texas based schools can go to the Pac-12, they will, which is something I've heard speculated on. The Pac-12 might be interested, might. I emphasize the word might in adding the Texas based schools out of the Big 12 to expand the Pac-12's geographic footprint. Maybe, but if the Texas based schools want to go can go to the Pac-12, they'll go. If Kansas can go to the Big 10, it'll go. If West Virginia can go to the AAC, ACC, ACC, not AAC, mm-hmm. it'll go. And, you know, and so we'll see. But whether it's eight remaining or five remaining or four remaining, I do believe that there's something called the Big 12 will exist. And it'll be whatever is left after everything shakes out, plus some combination of probably AAC schools and and perhaps Mountain West schools with Cincinnati, Houston, Memphis, UCF, SMU, all making some level of sense. It's a story that's going to develop over the coming weeks and months and probably years. And uh, when there's something new to talk about, we'll make sure to do that. John Shire is off to a nice start as Duke's coach in waiting on the recruiting trail. We'll get into that next, but first check this out. The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So John Shire is off to a nice start as Duke's coach in waiting. He now has two commitments since Coach K announced his retirement back in early June. The first was Cal Filipowski. He's a 6'11 center, ranked 33rd in class 2022. And the second came Sunday night. It was a big one. Dariq Whitehead, a 6'6 wing, ranked 6th in the class of 2022. Deadleg has John Shire already removed all questions you might have had about his ability to replace the legend that is Mike Krzyzewski. Removed all questions? All questions, everyone. No. <laughs> no, he has not removed all questions. Like, what are the questions about John Shire taking over for Mike Krzyzewski? They are, will he be able to recruit at effectively the same level that he's been able to recruit as a really, really good associate head coach and, and lead recruiter for Duke for the past five, six years? There's a chance that he can get close to that. And then there's the question of if he can keep Duke uh, at its status of a top three men's college basketball program nationally, uh, you know, upon taking the reins and taking the baton from Mike Krzyzewski in the year 2022, we're not going to know the answer to that for a number of years. But this is a really, really good start. Saw um, both these players up on the recruiting trail in the past month plus or so. 
Uh, Filipowski's a good player. I don't think he's like a one and done type, but um, I think that he's got he's got very very good potential as like a strong like return for a sophomore season, potentially like top twenty player in America. Derek Whitehead, he has. And I say this, I think I said this on the podcast when we were talking in uh, North Augusta, I think um, he has got some real like attitude to his game in a good way, arrogant on the court, but not in a way that's like a a, a turnoff. He is just almost like Colin Sexton where it's just endless and wonderful, wonderful pickup for Duke and for yes, I think this is important for that program to get two high quality players, Whitehead. I think he'll have a shot at being a top 10 freshman in America once he gets to college basketball next season. So a good job by Shire and that staff to be able to uh, to not just get these guys, but get to get them now. That's the other thing is we're not that far removed from the announcement from Kay that he is going to retire after this upcoming season. And quite clearly, you know, with the pandemic still ongoing, you have no shortage of prospects, high-level prospects from last season and this season, who just waited a bit longer before committing, and that's understandable here, but for Duke, that's not the case. They get Whitehead, which was the expected uh, outcome here, and then Filipowski, there was a really good recruiting battle uh, building there, but he decided to to just cash in. So, yes, good, good returns early for for Duke, and Whitehead is, uh, is the better prospect of the two, in my opinion. He has the potential to be a one-and-done player. I ask if he's removed all questions, John Shire, about his ability to replace Coach K. Obviously, I ask it with tongue in cheek. Um, we, 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 as you point out correctly, we won't know that until he's doing the job on, you know, on the court in the middle of an ACC schedule. I never had any doubts, honestly, that he would be able to secure prospects like that. That was, you know, uh, we've seen in recent years, you know, uh, young head coaches, you know, be able to recruit. Like, you know, Penny Hardaway at Memphis um, that, 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 you know, came in and within his first year of having a job on a college campus had secured the number one recruiting class in America. Now there were a lot of connections there that made it possible, but still it's something that happened when you are John Shire, who has been recruiting to Duke, who played at Duke, who still has, you know, Mike Krzyzewski to, to close recruiting deals if you need him like he can still pick up the phone i know he wasn't he's not out on the recruiting trail but he can still pick up the phone and talk to to derek whitehead and you know reportedly told whitehead hey i'm still gonna be around you know if you like i'll be there for you i won't be your coach but i'll be a presence and like it's all of that working in duke's favor it's still duke you know it's still an incredible academic university arguably the biggest brand in college basketball and Kay's still going to be around, and Shire has been doing this job, trying to secure commitments from five-star recruiting. He's been doing that for years. I, I'm not surprised he's recruiting well. Um, you know, the other part of the job is the stuff that. Listen, I, I am, I, I believe in John Shire. I like him on a personal level. I respect him on a professional level. I think he's going to be good, and that doesn't mean I think he's going to be Mike Shashevsky. I don't think he has to be if only because it's probably impossible. Hey, the only way you're successful in your first job is if you're as good as the greatest of all time. Like what? I mean, think, imagine you're an NBA draft pick and somebody says the only way you're successful is if you're as good as LeBron or Michael Jordan. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? You cannot reasonably set the bar there. I think John Shire's success will be, should be judged in this way. Can he keep Duke as a top 10 program in America? If he can keep Duke as a top 10 program in America over an extended period of time, wow, Duke really you know knocked it out of the park when it identified 
Coach K's replacement. Trying to hold him to Coach K's standard is just it's unfair. Um, but but he but the job is to keep Duke nationally relevant and near the top, if not at the top of the ACC. And from a recruiting perspective, he's off to a good start. And then we'll see, you know, like I, as much as I believe in John Shire, I'd sound silly if I were sitting here yelling, I'm convinced he'll be one of the greatest coaches in college basketball as a head. You just don't know until you see it. But I, if I'm a Duke fan, I'm, I'm certainly uh, optimistic. And the stuff that's happening right now on the recruiting trail is, is the latest evidence that suggests he's going to have a chance to, to succeed. The other interesting thing connected to this was that Derek Whitehead acknowledged that, you know, in the days leading up to his commitment, he was on a Zoom call with Rod Strickland, who, of course, is is securing prospects for the G League Ignite program, and that they offered $500,000 for him to skip college and play, um, you know, with the G League Ignite, and he he turned that down. Now, he's not the first person to turn down big money. Kate Cunningham did to go to Oklahoma State, but you just wonder, you know, does name, image, and likeness play a role in that? Because I'm confident, and I haven't talked to John about this, but I am confident John Shire and the people at Duke made it clear whether they're supposed to or not <laughs> made it clear to Derek Whitehead. You're not leaving money on the table. Yeah. You can make $500,000 playing for the G league Ignite. You can make more by being a star at Duke. And so that we've talked about this before name, image and likeness became a thing, how trying to ask prospects to turn down significant amount of money to come to college for a scholarship and cost of attendance time. That's a bad business model. But now we've got an incredible business model. And here we are, you know, more than a month in the name, image, and likeness now. And, you know, the world's still spinning. Everything's fine. And players are making real money. And I do think college basketball is 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 among the sports that's going to benefit from that. And I, I don't know that it played a role in this specific case, but it's going to play a role in a lot of similar cases. Yeah, Rod Strickland was on hand uh, at the Peach Jam. I I shared a lunch with Rod Strickland uh, at one point, and we got to talking, and he was there to evaluate the talent and then obviously try and uh, recruit to uh, to the G League. But, yeah, Whitehead going to Duke was the expected course of action. Um, right now, here are the class. This is obviously going to change. We're in August, and I'm talking about the class of 2022. But if you're curious about which schools – Coming out of the live period here, the first one in two years are doing best at this point. I was surprised to learn that Duke is not yet top five. And when we talk about can John Shire keep this up, it's not. You mentioned, will John Shire still be able to recruit? I have no doubt. Yes, but I do think at Duke, if you're going to continue to do it, you know, Duke and Kentucky were one or two in the recruiting rankings every year except one for 10 straight seasons. That's what I want to know if he's going to do. Is Duke going to be a, and let's even put it, is Duke going to have a top three class four out of five years or say seven out of, say let's say Shire's there eight years, seven out of those eight years. That I don't know. Am I confident Duke is going to have a top 10 class? Sure, 15, absolutely. But on a yearly basis, is Duke going to be able to keep up with the pace there? That's what I'll be intrigued to see because, yes, Mike Krzyzewski is very much, he's still going to, like, he's going to be going into the office after he retires, he's going to be a near daily presence with that program, and I think that's going to make an impact. Here's the top ten right now. Trivia time. Who do you think number one is? I. It's gettable, but I don't think you'd get it in your first five guesses unless you've looked. I don't think you've looked, though. I have looked. Oh, you've looked. Okay, so you know. So this doesn't – never mind. So Ohio State. Right. Are we about to get Chris Holton some credit right now? He, deserve, he doesn't get enough of it. He deserves some credit for this. Ohio State has the number one – 
class right now, and then it's North Carolina. It's UConn, which just got a commitment from Alex Caravan, a player that I loved watching down there in North Augusta. Arkansas is four. Illinois is five. The greatest coach in the history of UCLA basketball has the sixth best recruiting class in the class of 2022 right now. Duke is seven with two commitments. And then, hello, Iowa State is eight. Kansas, nine, Syracuse. And that will quite clearly shake itself up uh, by the time we get to, say, November, let alone uh, January or February of next season. But right now, yeah, it's OSU at one. And then Duke's coming in at seven. Also, another quick side note before you want to wrap up here, GP. I have a... Very deep dive on class of 2023. Dewan Wagner Jr., DJ Wagner, uh, wrote a big feature on him, and that is live on the site on your CBS Sports app. Give it a read. Pretty pretty great young man, and the family was phenomenal, and I had a really good time uh, writing that out. So as we talk about recruiting here, one more recruiting story to go up on the site that we waited until after the NBA draft and not have a, uh, a pretty um, deep look into uh, DJ Wagner's rise to the number one prospect in the class of 23. Also in recruiting, a big announcement scheduled for Friday evening. Jalen Duran, uh, the number one ranked prospect class of 2022, who is expected to reclassify and either be in the G League or some other professional league or play college basketball next season. He is expected, he has announced that he will announce his future plans on uh, Friday night. So Derek Whitehead uh, starts the week with a commitment to Duke. And now Jalen Duran could more or less end the week with a commitment somewhere. The colleges involved are... Miami, Kentucky, and the University of Memphis. And I believe the plan, if we can swing it, is to record, you know, 30 minutes or so, um, uh, an episode on Friday night after Jalen Duren makes his announcement. I mean, let's do it. You you want to talk about Jalen Duren again on a podcast? Are you sure you want to do this? My favorite thing. (laughs) My favorite topic. I guess guess so. After this Jalen Duren announcement... Let's just let's agree to not have a podcast about Jalen Dern for a good while. My guess by this, my guess, this is my guess. I don't have like intel that says it's going to happen, but I say yes, he is going to reclassify. I mentioned this on the previous pod, but he'll reclassify. Mark me down for Miami. Miami is going to get Jalen Dern. That's my prediction here. Our friend Jonathan Gavoni said Memphis is considered the team to beat. Okay. I, hey, listen, always willing to be wrong on this podcast, but Mark. Well, it, it's interesting. Like, if you go to 24 7 sports right now, there are no crystal ball predictions. Like, nobody's <laughs> okay. out there on this one. Everybody's like, yeah, I'm staying away from this one. I, I don't think many people have a great feel for it. Usually, like, the, the recruiting analysts um, are anxious to, like, here's my crystal ball prediction. And they're great at it. Like, they get them right almost always. And nobody, you know, as of this morning, nobody was out there with the crystal ball prediction on Jalen Duran yet. So uh, we'll see, but we'll talk about it. On Friday night. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Mark Shepard, legend. Shouts to Larnell, Mark Shepard, 11th leading scorer on Scott Drew's first NCAA tournament team at Baylor back in 2008. Averaged 1.6 points in 12.4 minutes per game. He's a building block. It's a building block for the Bears in Waco. Absolute legend. Thank you guys and gals for listening once again. I on College Basketball Podcast, the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. Oh, man. Can't get into it. These variants. What are we doing with these variants? My God. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere. You can subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate it. Either way, we're going to talk to you again on Friday night. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or 
I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.